Hello, this is R.J. Deacon, reading the Supreme Court of the United States Opinion Syllabus in Shin v. Martinez-Ramirez. Certiorari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, argued December 8, 2021, and decided May 23, 2022. Respondents David Martinez-Ramirez and Barry Lee Jones were each convicted of capital crimes in Arizona State Court and sentenced to death. The Arizona Supreme Court affirmed each case on direct review, and each prisoner was denied state post-conviction relief. Each also filed for federal habeas relief under 28 U.S.C. Section 2254, arguing that trial counsel had been ineffective for failing to conduct adequate investigations. The federal district court held in each case that the prisoner's ineffective assistance claim was procedurally defaulted because it was not properly presented in state court. To overcome procedural default in such cases, a prisoner must demonstrate cause to excuse the procedural defect and actual prejudice. Coleman v. Thompson. To demonstrate cause, Ramirez and Jones relied on Martinez v. Ryan, which held that ineffective assistance of post-conviction counsel may be cited as cause for the procedural default of an ineffective assistance of trial counsel claim. In Ramirez's case, the district court permitted him to supplement the record with evidence not presented in state court to support his case to excuse the procedural default. Assessing the new evidence, the court excused the procedural default but rejected Ramirez's ineffective assistance claim on the merits. The Ninth Circuit reversed and remanded for more evidentiary development to litigate the merits of Ramirez's ineffective assistance of trial counsel claim. In Jones's case, the district court held a lengthy evidentiary hearing on cause and prejudice, forgave his procedural default, and held that his state trial counsel had provided ineffective assistance. The state of Arizona petitioned this court in both cases, arguing that Section 2254E2 does not permit a federal court to order evidentiary development simply because post-conviction counsel is alleged to have negligently failed to develop the state court record. The uh, Supreme Court holds decision below is reversed and Justice Thomas delivered the opinion. Under Section 2254E2, a federal habeas court may not conduct an evidentiary hearing or otherwise consider evidence beyond the state court record based on the ineffective assistance of state post-conviction counsel. To respect federal-state dual sovereignty, see Prince versus United States, the availability of federal habeas relief is narrowly circumscribed, see Brown versus Davenport. For example, only rarely may a federal habeas court hear a claim or consider evidence that a prisoner did not previously present to the state courts in compliance with state procedural rules. Federal habeas review overrides the state's core power to enforce criminal law, an intrusion, intrusion that imposes special costs on the um, federal system. It's Engel versus Isaac. Two of those costs are particularly relevant here. First, a federal order to retry or release a state prisoner overrides the state's sovereign power to enforce societal norms through criminal law. It's Calderon versus Thompson. Second, federal intervention imposes significant costs on state criminal justice systems. See Wainwright versus Sykes. In light of these costs, 
the court recognizes that federal habeas review is not a substitute for ordinary error correction through appeal, but is an extraordinary remedy that guards only against extreme malfunctions in the state criminal justice system. That's Harrington versus Richter. To ensure that federal habeas retains its narrow role, both Congress and federal habeas courts have set out strict rules requiring prisoners to raise all of their federal claims in state court before seeking federal relief. The Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996, AEDPA, requires state prisoners to exhaust the remedies available in the courts of the state before seeking federal habeas relief, Section 2254B1, Cap A, and the doctrine of procedural default, an important corollary to the exhaustion requirement, Davilia versus Davis, generally prevents federal courts from hearing any federal claim that was not presented to the state courts consistent with the state's own procedural rules. Uh, Edwards versus Carpenter. Together, exhaustion and procedural default promote federal state comedy by affording states an initial opportunity to pass upon correct alleged pass upon and correct alleged violation of pr- prisoners' federal rights. See Duckworth versus Serrano. Uh, that's a per curiam. And by protecting against the significant harm to the states that results from the failure of federal courts to respect state procedural rules, uh, Coleman. Nonetheless, a federal court is not required to automatically deny unexhausted or procedurally defaulted claims. For instance, when a claim is procedurally defaulted, a federal court can forgive the default and adjudicate the claim if the prisoner provides an adequate excuse. And if the state court record for that defaulted claim is undeveloped, the prisoner must show that factual development in federal court is appropriate. Federal courts may excuse procedural default only if a prisoner can demonstrate cause for the default and actual prejudice as a result of the alleged violation of federal law. That's Coleman again. With respect to cause, attorney error cannot provide cause to excuse a default. In proceedings for which the Constitution does not guarantee the assistance of counsel at all. That's Davilia. Uh, But in Martinez, this court recognized a narrow exception to that rule, holding that ineffective assistance of state post-conviction counsel may constitute cause to forgive procedural default of a trial ineffective assistance claim, but only if the state requires prisoners to raise such claims for the first time during state collateral proceedings. Excusing a prisoner's failure to develop the state court record faces an even higher bar. Section 2254E2 applies when a prisoner has failed to develop the factual basis of a claim, i.e., is at fault for the undeveloped record in state court. Williams versus Taylor. If a prisoner is at fault, a federal court may hold an evidentiary hearing on the claim in only two limited scenarios not relevant here. C-2254-E-2-A, I and I-I. The prisoner also must show that further fact-finding would demonstrate by clear and convincing evidence that he is innocent of the crime charged. Although respondents do not satisfy 2254-E-2's narrow exceptions, the Court of Appeals forgave respondents' failures to develop the state court record because, in its view, they each received ineffective assistance of state post-conviction counsel. The Court of Appeals erred. 
Respondents primarily argue that a prisoner is not at fault for the undeveloped record if state post-conviction counsel negligently failed to develop the state record for a claim of ineffective assistance of trial counsel. But under AEDPA and this court's precedents, state post-conviction counsel's ineffective assistance in developing the state court record is attributed to the prisoner. A prisoner bears the risk in federal habeas for all attorney errors made in the course of the representation. That's Coleman. And because there is no constitutional right to counsel in state post-conviction proceedings, a prisoner must ordinarily bear responsibility for all attorney errors during those proceedings. So, Williams again. Including responsibility for counsel's negligent failure to develop the state post-conviction record. This court's prior cases make this point clear. Um, See, for example, Keeney versus Tamayo Reyes uh, and Williams and Holland versus Jackson uh, per curiam. Thus, a prisoner is at fault even when the state post-conviction counsel is negligent. Respondents propose extending Martinez so that the ineffective assistance of post-conviction counsel can excuse a prisoner's failure to develop the state court record under 2254E2. But unlike judge-made exceptions to procedural default, 2254E2 is a statute, and thus, this court has no power to redefine when a prisoner has failed to develop the factual basis of a claim in state court proceedings. Nor is it plausible, as respondents contend, that Congress might have enacted 2254E2 with the exception that this court would would one day open the door to allowing the ineffective assistance of state post-conviction counsel to be caused to forgive procedural default. Finally, Martinez itself cuts against respondents' proposed result. Martinez foreclosed any extension of its holding beyond the narrow exception to procedural default at issue in that case. That assurance has bite only if the state can rely on the state court record. The cases here demonstrate the improper burden imposed on the state uh, states when Martinez applies beyond its narrow scope, with the sprawling evidentiary hearing in Jones's case being particularly poignant. Respondents propose a second reading of 2254E2 that supposedly permits consideration of new evidence in their habeas cases. First, they argue that because 2254E2 bars only an evidentiary hearing on the claim, a federal court may hold an evidentiary hearing to determine whether there is cause and prejudice. Second, respondents contend that the habeas court may then consider that new evidence to evaluate the merits of the underlying ineffective assistance claim. By considering already admitted evidence, respondents reason the habeas court is not holding a hearing prohibited by section 2254E2, but in Holland, this court explained that 2254E2's restrictions apply a fortiori when a prisoner seeks relief based on new evidence without an evidentiary hearing. Therefore, when a federal habeas court convenes an evidentiary hearing for any purpose or otherwise reviews any evidence for any purpose, it may not consider that evidence on the merits of a negligent prisoner's defaulted claim unless the exceptions in 2254E2 are satisfied. The decision below is reversed. Justice Thomas delivered the opinion of the court in which Chief Justice Roberts and Justices Alito, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett joined. Justice Sotomayor filed a dissenting opinion in which Justices Breyer and Kagan joined. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support me, 
find the PayPal link in the show notes or get a hold of me at roadscholar80 at gmail.com. That's R-O-A-D-S and the number eight zero.